Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, so we're jumping back this morning for the last time into the Gospel of John. Now, if you've been a part of our church for a while, you know that on and off over the last several years, we've been working our way through John's account of what happened when Jesus was on earth. John was one of the eyewitnesses. He wrote a bunch of stuff down. We still have those documents. So we're learning about what John wrote. And we've been on and off for a while. And it felt like we concluded things because when we last talked about John's gospel, it was Easter Sunday morning. We were celebrating the resurrection and we had found a place uh, where we kind of put a period on the end of the sentence. He had, he had completed the work his father had given him to do. Jesus rose from the dead. John breaks the fourth wall, addresses the audience, and says these things are written so that you may believe. And it just comes to this beautiful conclusion, and that's where we left things on Easter Sunday morning. But there's another scene Anybody here like Marvel movies? Anybody enjoying the summer? Yeah, I mean, I love those movies. I'm all about it. And the Marvel movies have taken a page from Ferris Bueller. Any, any Ferris Bueller fans out there? Ferris Bueller's Day Off, couple of you? Yeah. So if, you, if you've ever watched, I don't know if you know this, if you watch to the very end of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, there's a, there's a post-credits scene. Ferris Bueller actually comes back, looks at the camera, and goes, you're still here? The movie's over. Go home. And it's, it's pretty funny. But, and so that, to my knowledge, that was the first one. And now, every time you go to a Marvel movie, they found a very clever way of making you sit through the credits, and that is they put a post-credits scene at the ev- end of every one of these movies, right? Some of you are like, wait, they do? Yeah, you got some work to do. Go back and watch all that stuff. So... So they put a scene at the end of the credits that, that kind of helps you, you know, either it's a precursor to something or it, it gives you a teaser for something else, makes you want to watch a little bit more. That's just about exactly what happens in the scriptures. Where last we concluded, when we last left John's gospel, here's what we read. This is the gospel of John chapter 20, verse 30. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Amen. Right? Mic drop. Done. That feels like the end of the book. That feels like the end of the sentence. Jesus has completed the work he came to earth to do. The work, what, so what, what was Jesus' work on the earth? Jesus' work on the earth was to glorify God in our redemption. To glorify God by, by, by saving us from our sins. He pays in advance for our sins with his death so that now when we sin in the here and now, we confess that to God, our guilt is lifted up off of us and placed onto the shoulders of Jesus and we go free of it. That was the work God sent him to do. That work is now complete. End of sentence, period, mic drop. The credits roll and we move on. And Easter Sunday was a while ago. So we've kind of moved on. But then at the end of the credits, Right where you expect the screen to go dark, they get to the very end of the credits, like where they thank the state of Georgia for some reason, right? And then, and then you get to the end of the credits, and then the screen brightens again, and there's more. There's like something else. There is a tag, like an extra chapter at the end of John's gospel. And here's where it begins. Chapter 21. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. 
several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Okay, so that's a lot of text. Let's unpack what happened. The scene comes up. The disciples are sitting around. They're kind of just hanging around. It's not all of them, but a bunch of them are kind of hanging around. And now, like, the resurrection has taken place, and Jesus now, there's a 40-day window between the resurrection and the ascension. There's a lot of days we don't really know what Jesus was doing during, during that time. There's a lot of stuff we just, we don't have recorded for us. But the disciples, basically, for the last three years, their job was following Jesus around. And now, they have to discover the new normal. Like, their life was radically changed when Jesus was on the earth. Now he's risen from the dead and he's moving on. And the disciples are like, what are we going to do? So it's, it's almost like a scene where you open it up. You know, have you ever, you ever like hung out with your friends? Maybe not recently, but like when you were little. Remember when you were like a little or like a teenager? You know, you'd hang out with your friends and, and somebody would go, what do you want to do? And you go, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't care. You know, like, it's that kind of a thing. That's exactly what's going on. And finally, Peter goes, I'm going fishing. Like, I'm going to go back to what's familiar to me. I got to get back to my life. I got to get back to work. I got to start doing something again. And so, they, they, and they're like, oh, well, we're not doing anything. We'll go with you. A bunch of these guys aren't even fishermen, but they jump on the boats. They go out at night, which is when fishing is done on the Sea of Galilee. And then at dawn, a mysterious figure appears at the shore. Now, John narrates for us out of the gate that it's Jesus, but they don't know that right away. It's just, the sun is just coming up. The sky is just starting to brighten, and they just see a guy, and they're 100 yards out, so they're a football field away. They don't quite know that it's Jesus. And Jesus goes, hey, guys, you catching anything? The way you would, you ever see people, <clears throat> you ever, like, see people fishing and ask, hey, you get any bites? You got anything? You ever done that? Yeah. One person has done that? Wow. Amazing. Okay, so you've all done that. Hey, you catch anything? You getting anything? And fishermen will love to tell you. They talk about it. Same thing here. Hey, you guys getting anything? And they're like, yeah, no. And, and Jesus says, you know what? Uh, 
throw the net, he's, on, he's 100 yards away, throw the net onto the other side of the boat and you're going to catch some fish. And right there, this starts to sound familiar. Right there, like Peter and John look at each other like, I think, could it, could it be? so weird. This, this is not the first time this happened. That's what Jesus said the first time he called them. Do you remember? You remember this? There's a big familiarity to this. So they chuck the net over the boat and sure enough, there's more fish than they can handle. And John says to Peter, it's the Lord. And then Peter, Peter does what Peter does. He's impetuous. He jumps in the water and starts swimming and wading his way back to shore. Like not, hey, let's, let's row back to shore. Let's bring the boat back in. Let's all go back. No, no. Peter jumps out of the boat and starts booking. He's, he's getting back to shore as fast as he can. That is interesting because... As far as we know, Jesus and Peter haven't cleared the decks from what happened in the courtyard the night before his crucifixion. You guys remember this? On Good Friday, we were talking a little bit about this. I know it's a couple months ago, but come back with me for a minute. The last time Jesus had any real interaction, this is, as we see in the scriptures, the third time he's appeared to them. But we don't have anything recorded that Jesus and Peter had any personal time together. So the last time, the last time, here's what's still fresh for Peter. Here's what Peter is remembering. There was a time, like very recently, when he said, Jesus, I am your ride or die. I'm with you to the end. I'm in this with you. If I have to die alongside you, I'll die alongside you. And Jesus just looks at me and goes, Peter, before the sun comes up, you're going to deny you even know me three different times. And that is exactly what happens in the courtyard. There's this, there's this fire, and everyone's warming their hands around the fire. And Jesus, when the rooster crows, Jesus from across the courtyard makes eye contact with Peter. That failure is still fresh for him. He's still carrying the shame of it. So it is interesting that he runs towards Jesus. Peter might have just as easily stayed in the boat like John goes, hey, it's Jesus. Peter might have just gone, might as well all gone, oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, no, it'd be fine to see Jesus, but maybe I'll just hang here on the boat. You guys go ahead. I'll come in later. Like, it might not have been his impulse to go be eye to eye with the one he just betrayed so recently, but that's not Peter. Even from this place of shame, he runs back to the shore. He swims back to the shore. They gather on the shore, and here's what happens next. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Okay, so here the English language fails us completely. 
The English language fails us utterly in this moment. And it's not that it was translated poorly or translated wrong. It's just that the English language is really weak when it comes to the word love. We use the word love for lots of different things. We use the word love in broad, in many broad different senses. And we can usually tell what we mean from context. But there's not a ton of context here. So what, what I mean by that is we use the word love all over the place. Like, oh, I love, I love it when it's a beautiful day outside. I love my wife. I love my husband. I love my kids. I love my girlfriend. I love pizza. Love ice cream sundaes. I love the Yankees. I love it when there's no traffic. I love it when I get a good parking spot. Like we, we've got, we, we use this word love and it's the same word love for all of these. Now you know as well as I do that those are different feelings that we're describing, but it's the same word, love. The Greek language, which these guys are, are, are we're, we're having it recorded in, these guys are, are, are speaking a language that is far more specific. And in the New Testament, there are at least three different kinds of love mentioned uh, in the Greek language. They are philos, eros, and agape. Eros is sexual love. That brings us the word erotic. Philos is brotherly love, as in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Agape is God's love, God's perfect love. So understand this, when, when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me, he uses the word agape. He says, Peter, do you, do you have agape for me? Do you love me with God's perfect love? And Peter does not answer in kind. The, the English translation says, yes, Lord, I, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Those words are both technically translated love, but they are different in the Greek. Jesus says, do you love me with God's perfect love? And Peter looks down at his feet and looks back at Jesus and says, I, I love you like a brother. And then Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me with God's perfect love? And Peter answers, I love you like a brother. And he won't say it. He won't say it. And it would have been easy for him to say it. He could have just said, yeah, I love you like, I love you with God's perfect love. Of course I do. Sure I do. Yeah. But he won't. He won't say it. He won't speak the words. Why not? Why in this moment won't Peter just reciprocate in kind? It's getting awkward. Jesus asked him this question three times. Why? Why won't he say it? Because because he can still taste the failure. He can still taste the bile. He can still, he's still choking on what happened in that garden. He still remembers the utter shame of that moment. How horrible he felt. How he just felt like, like, like he had failed Jesus completely. Have you ever carried that kind of shame You ever felt like you just let everybody else around you down? Like you let yourself down? Like everybody's disappointed in you? That's what Peter is carrying, and he doesn't want to say it. Peter, do you love me with God's perfect love? Uh, I, I love you like a brother. I'm trying. I'm trying. I want to say it. I want to make promises. But the last time I ran my mouth... The last time I ran my mouth, I fell so far flat. I, I hurt myself so badly and hurt you so badly. I don't want to make promises anymore. Even Peter, with his, with his impetuous tongue, with his quick tongue, even Peter is like, I can't, I can't quite say it. And Jesus could have left it alone, right? Gee, come on, look at the conversation. Jesus could have left it alone. Peter, do you love me with God's perfect love? Uh, I love you like a brother. Oh, okay, that's cool. Pest the fish. 
That could have been it. That could have been the end of it. Uh Uh-uh, Jesus isn't leaving it alone. And understand this and get it right. He's not trying to punish Peter. This is not punitive, it's restorative. Jesus, we don't know what Jesus did with most of those 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension, but we know he spent one of those days making sure that somebody he cares about isn't walking in shame. Some of you this morning are walking in shame. There's things you've done that are overwhelming you. There's things that you've done, things in your past that, that, that just you can't seem to shake loose from, that you think mark you and define you. And so when you talk to God and God reaches out to you and nudges you and pulls you, you kind of just go, yeah, I don't, I don't, I've screwed up so badly. I, I'm just disqualified from the conversation. How about we just stay friends? You ever have somebody keep you in the friend zone? It's the worst thing ever. Anybody ever have this happen to them? Same person that talked to the fisherman. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. None of us have ever had that happen. Wow. Yeah, like, you know, you, come on, you, you put your, it's not easy to put yourself out there, right? It's never an easy thing to put yourself, hey, hey, you know, what do you think? You, could, could we go on a date? Are you interested? I kind of, oh, wow, I just, that's wonderful. I just, I just think of you as a friend. Is there anything worse than that? It's the worst thing ever, getting stuck in the friend zone, Right? And so that's kind of what we do to God sometimes. Like, that's what Peter's doing, you know? Uh, Peter, do you love me with God's perfect love? Ah, you know, like, I really love you like a brother. Could we stay? And that's kind of where some of you are with God. You feel God calling you. And you know, like, God wants to have an intimate relationship with you and wants to connect with you and wants to be in your life. And you're kind of like, ah, I really like it better when we're friends. Like, I like having you in my life. I'm not quite ready for that whole big commitment thing yet. And for a lot of us, it's because of our past, because we're still carrying things in our rearview mirror. We're still dragging like this heavy bag of rocks with us, like like shame. And Jesus just makes sure that Peter understands, you don't have to walk in shame anymore. And so he says to him, Peter, seriously, if you love me, feed my sheep. Now, what does Jesus come to earth to do? He comes to earth to honor God in our redemption, to love others, and to serve the world around him. Yes, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus comes to honor God, love others, and serve all, to live an outward-bound life. And he tells Peter, if you love me, do the same. Feed my sheep. Don't make it about you. Make it about everybody else. Serve the world around you. And in this, he restores Peter. He says, Peter, that's the end of this. We don't have to talk about it anymore. You don't have to walk in shame anymore. We're moving on from this. That's Peter forgiven. It doesn't mean his insecurities are over. It doesn't mean he's never going to sin again or screw up again. It just means that for this moment, all the shame of his past is totally gone. But Jesus isn't quite done with him. Next verse says this. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? 
Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that Jesus that this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. That is the conclusion of John's gospel. And in this text, Jesus says some prophetic things to Peter. He says, you know, when you were young, you went where you wanted to go, you dressed yourself and did your thing. When you're old, somebody else is going to dress you and take you where you don't want to go. That's because, that's Jesus prophesying over Peter's end. Peter, Peter was crucified. He was martyred. The Romans crucified him. And Peter, as Christian tra- tradition has it, asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't count himself worthy as dying the same kind of death as Jesus Christ. Such was the nature of his passion. Such was the restorative power of this encounter. Jesus spends at least one day making sure this man that he loves doesn't walk in shame, and it marks Peter, it marks him deeply. He's a different man after this, but he's not done being insecure. Did you see this other thing that happens in the text? The disciple Jesus loved, that's John. He's referring to himself. The disciple Jesus loves is over here. So John's over here. Peter just gets done with this exchange with Jesus. Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Okay, do you love me like a, like, do you love me with God's perfect love? I love you like a brother. Okay, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me with God's perfect love? I love you like a brother. I'm trying. Three times he goes through this and, and Jesus restores him. And then what does Peter do? Peter looks at John and goes, well, what about him? Don't, don't you want to yell at him? Does John have any sins that he should be dealing with? Like, what, what about? He literally looks over his shoulder and goes, what about John? This competition between Peter and John has been going on throughout the whole New Testament. And he's wondering, well, what? Peter's insecure. He's forgiven, but he's still insecure. And we can relate to that, can't we? He's forgiven, but he's still insecure. He's still, so he's like, well, what about John? Does it, didn't John screw up somewhere along the way? Are you going to, you know, like, what, what's, what's the story with John? And Jesus goes, Peter, stay in your lane, bro, bro. Stay in your lane. Don't worry about John. What happens to John is between me and John. What I care about is what happens between me and you. So you, Peter, feed my sheep. Live your life outward bound. And here we find ourselves, church, at the tail end of John's gospel, having heard this incredible story and and seen Peter's redemption. And that's the subtext, like right behind. I mean, it's, it's incredible, really, because given the competition, the way John and Peter are kind of like, there's this friendly thing between them, John takes a lot of time to highlight for us how Jesus restored Peter. He takes a lot of time to help us understand Peter's process because he was walking in shame. He was walking, and understand the difference between guilt and shame, yeah? Guilt comes when it's appropriate. Conviction comes. God brings conviction when we've done something or failed to do something and and we feel some guilt about it. That's appropriate. That's not shame. Shame is a dark cloud. It's like a soaking wet 
heavy blanket that depresses everything beneath it, that causes us to walk differently, think differently, act differently, and carry our head differently. Shame affects us at a core level. It's never God's will for you to walk in shame. Never. So he's calling you today. Do you love me with God's perfect love? And it might be in your nature to say, I love you like a friend. Happy to go to church, happy to hang with you, love the music, love the songs, happy with all that, glad to get a bagel, but not sure I want to be all the way in with this, not sure I'm all the way committed. I'm still carrying some things, I'm still embarrassed about some things. If that's where you are, I just want to encourage you to put your faith in Jesus Christ today because he is right there asking you and waiting to restore you, not to shame you, not to remind you of your failure, but relentlessly, doggedly reminding you of his great love for you and that you have been invited to play a part in his vast, amazing story, that you've been invited to honor him with your life, love the world around you, and serve the world around you. And there's no invitation like it. Leave behind the, sh the shame and guilt of your past. Step out into a new beginning for yourself. You'll never regret the day that you did. Amen? Amen. And with that, <laughs> too soon, with that, we're going to receive communion together. So when you came in, you got yourself a little, uh, a little uh, communion cup. If you don't have one and you'd like to take communion, there's no pressure on that, but if you'd like to take communion and you can get one, just raise your hand. The ushers will come find you. Uh, we're going to invite the band back out, which they're already doing. Perfect. Um, no, you're good. So I'm going to invite you guys to unwrap the top side, which is the part with the wafer. Don't unwrap the liquid side first. You'll f or you'll figure out why. I And on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, take and, drink, take and eat. This is my body, broken for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this and remember me, the body of Christ. And after the same manner, when he had given thanks, he took the cup, and he gave it to them, saying, Take and drink. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, poured out for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this and remember me, the blood of Christ. Father, we love you, and we're grateful grateful that you chase us, grateful that you come after us, grateful that it is not your will that we live in our shame and, 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 and guilt, not your will that we live covered by those things, but your will that we walk close to you, connected to you, forgiven and responding to your great love the way Peter did. Lord, we all have our stuff. We've all got stuff that we need to talk to you about and get right with you. We're praying now that you'll put courage in our heart to believe that you really, really do want to forgive us and make us new creations. We pray faith enough to believe that and respond to it with all of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.